0: Hey, Kingdom Roots friends, thanks for joining us today. Today on the podcast, Scott continues his conversation with Tim and John from The Bible Project.
1: You'll notice, again, the music's different because they, again, have kindly given us the permission to use the audio from their podcast on our podcast here at Kingdom Roots. So thanks for joining us. Make sure that you check out The Bible Project online at thebibleproject.com. And we're, as always, grateful to have you. Hope you enjoy the episode.
0: Well, c- okay, continuing the journey. This is really enjoyable. I think the next book of yours, as far as I can reconstruct, because I write the little dates inside, was a book called On the Atonement, Yeah. a community called Atonement. I was uh, just beginning to come on staff at the church we had been attending for a couple of years, and I was beginning to be asked to teach classes and occasionally preach. And so I, uh, there was a sermon. It was in a Gospel of John series. I got assigned a passage in John about the Son of Man dying and being exalted. And so I wanted to read up on atonement and my language about the cross. I got a Four Views book that I realized like, oh my gosh, this is like a really hot topic. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Call it the Atonement <laughs> the Wars. Um, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And uh, Wars. and then this volume, I got a Four Views book, and then I I got this volume. And I, what was formative for me. There's a lot of things that were helpful here. But what was formative was actually this chapter called, Which is the Fairest of Them All? Yeah. So you've gone through the whole book saying you can talk about the apostles represent the cross as a victory, as a sacrifice, as an example of love, different ways that they frame Mm -hmm. it. And then it was your way of addressing, uh, do we have to privilege one over the other? Or is there some deep underlying common denominator that's true of all of them? And so you have this phrase, that the atonement is Jesus identifying with us so that we can be incorporated into him. Yeah. And then you build on that. Yeah. But that was very helpful for me yeah. and formative. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the genesis of this book and what, you, what your ideas were in it.
1: Okay, this book was a total accident. I was asked by Tom Wright for the Nashville SBL, a Society of Biblical Literature Meeting, for the Historical Jesus Seminar to give a five-minute introduction to the death of Jesus so that the other main scholars would do the talks. And I was just going to give a five-minute introduction. In June or July, Tom writes me a letter and says, and you'll give the first paper. And I wrote back to him, I said, Tom, I thought I was given a brief introduction. He says, no, in my notes, I'm going to do that, and you're going to give the first paper. (laughs) So I said, well, I better get busy. So I spent that, uh, until SBL, working on a taxonomy of how different Jesus scholars understood his death and how Jesus understood his own death, according to scholars. And at the end of it, I came to a conclusion that Jesus thought his death was atoning. And I told another, I told a historical Jesus scholar this, and she said to me, that's impossible. That's too theological. <laughs> I remember thinking, so Jesus can't be theological? I mean, what's the point? So I decided, I decided to write a book on my sabbatical huh. to prove that Jesus thought his death was uh, atoning. Oh, that was and Jesus big, and his death. Yeah, I wrote a yes. big academic monograph. Yes. And as I was working on that, huh. I was asked to do a more popular version huh. of a of a. A yeah. different kind of book. Yes. So this book came out mm-hmm. because Tom Wright mm. <laughs> took bad notes, <laughs> and I would never have done that. I was going to work on yes. on on prophecy. Yeah. Now yeah. yeah,
2: was this in the mix then when Tom wrote a book on atonement? Or is that more mm. recent?
1: He wrote, he wrote his book after that. Mm-hmm. After that uh, that little book on
2: the
0: Jesus and Evil or something like no, that. No, it's just uh, on a Atonement.
1: Oh, oh, that's just that's real that, new. That's real new. Yeah, yeah. Okay. that was three Got it. years ago. Got it. Yeah. Okay.
0: yeah, talk about how yeah. writing and presenting this, d- was it just distilling convictions you already had, or was there some discovery process uh, no. for I, you? I
1: had to expand it, because the other one was a, <laughs> very much a historical Jesus book hmm. with uh, New Testament theology, but very academic and trying to— not get involved too much in Mm. in the theological debates. But I wanted to put this together. And I was convinced, number one, that the battle that was going on was very unhealthy, that people had Mm. locked down, that there was a central Mm. metaphor, Mm. that everything else Mm. was secondary, that the primary. And I remember Tom Schreiner, a friend of mine, saying, the central metaphor is penal substitution. Mm -hmm. I'm here thinking, no, it's not. You know, you gotta have. You got if you start reading the different authors, not everybody talks about death of
2: Jesus
0: that yeah. way. By authors, you mean the New Testament. The New authors. Testament authors. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> not
1: everybody talks about it that way. Yeah. So let's let them talk the way they do. Mm-hmm. So as I was teaching you this one day, mm. I told a story about playing golf with a guy who only had one golf club, and I thought this was
2: blasphemous
1: i thought this guy is so lazy he doesn't want to carry a bag of golf
2: clubs so he just
1: took this thing and he adjusted it
2: <laughs> oh like he took the head off yeah
1: no the head adjusted he'd go two iron four iron oh, six iron. oh i see and, <laughs> that's you know, smart. and all the way at the top is a driver you know a one or whatever <laughs> <laughs> and i thought oh, that's wrong and I I, I I was teaching and i said some people think that you can carry one golf club Mm-hmm. And get to all the atonement theory with one. And Mm. I said, I carry a bag of clubs, and sometimes I need a wedge. Mm. Sometimes I need a five iron. Sometimes I need a three wood. Mm. Sometimes I always need a putter, you know. (laughs) So I I said, the atonement is like that. We need a full bag of clubs Mm -hmm. to know which image to use Mm. for which audience at which time. Mm. Because every Mm. image of atonement, whether it's the victory of God— Mm -hmm. Whether it's Jesus bearing or shouldering our sin, Mm -hmm. our burden, Mm -hmm. our guilt, whether it is reconciliation, Mm -hmm. whether it's forgiveness, redemption is a different term, Mm -hmm. that's to purchase, Mm -hmm. justification, Mm -hmm. every one of those actually has a different solution Mm -hmm. to a different problem. Mm -hmm. So mm-hmm. we need all of those. Mm. And the New Testament authors mm. this is one of their greatest acts yeah. of imagination. Yeah, yeah. They could not find enough ways yeah. mm. to talk about the achievement mm. of Jesus' death. Yeah. yeah. That's what I tried to bring out in the book. Yeah, that's cool. We need but I do think mm. it can be reduced to mm. I call it identification for the sake of incorporation. He yeah. identified with us yeah. to bring us into life with him.
0: Yeah. I mean in a way that's trying to get underneath all the metaphors yeah. like to a deep structure
2: underneath it. Why do you think penal substitution became the primary metaphor in the modern church?
1: Because of of this. <laughs> this is the way we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel. But why, but why did that mad, become the way the we preach God is the gospel? mad at us. It evokes the response that we're looking for. Okay. Mm. We've learned to preach the gospel to achieve the most decisions, and we learned the most decisions could be achieved if we run it all through this theory of penal substitution. Now most evangelists don't know that that's what they're doing. Sure. But that's the that's mm. the evangelistic mm. method.
0: Well good. You just Pointed to uh, the next book on the stack here. The King Jesus Gospel was the next book of yours yep. I read. So let's just make this a clean. You're just skipping move... a lot of books. Anyway. I know. I I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I know, Scott, I haven't read all your books. I'm just doing the ones that I, I have. This read. was my favorite. So book the King sure. Jesus Gospel. Yeah. Tell us about this.
1: I wanted to call it in the beginning was the Gospel, but my editor hadn't, he had he would have no part of it. Huh, huh. And I still think it's a better title. But because mm-hmm. I think in the beginning was the gospel. We don't have any New Testament until mm-hmm. first there's the gospel. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, what, pr- when pr- what problem I was, are when you When I was in high here. school, yeah.
1: I got involved in evangelism, and I became convinced that what we were doing in evangelism was not right. I was just unsettled. And I was unsettled even more when, as a college student, I encountered Dietrich Bonhoeffer's cost of discipleship. Mm-hmm. I thought, this guy gets it. Jesus calls us to be disciples. He's not calling us to make decisions, mm. but I, it just what I wanted to do then was preach a gospel that called people to be disciples. But I didn't. I didn't know how to do it. Mm. Mm. Then I was unsettled with how we frame the gospel, and I was asked to give lectures in South Africa at the University of Stellenbosch on the gospel of the apostles in the Book of Acts. Mm. And when the, I like the speeches,
2: the that speeches, they give, yes,
1: Peter and Paul,
2: yeah. And I said... They never quite say it the way I hear it in church. That's right. <laughs> and, that, and, I, and I said, there's the gospel. Yeah.
1: And when I read that, huh. I looked at 1 Corinthians 15, Yeah. which is an outline of mm-hmm. the same thing that Peter and Paul are preaching. Hmm. And then I thought, well, the gospels themselves are the gospel. Yes.
0: So yeah. I am... I'm, how, how did we get into a scenario... <laughs> Where Listen, the gospel I, summary bears little resemblance to the books called gospels. Yeah, that's a...
1: <laughs> it's amazing. And I've had people tell me, yeah, yeah. that the gospels are not the gospel. We yeah. don't know the gospel till after Pentecost. Mm-hmm. I'm going, oh boy, you put Jesus in a tough spot. And I, my my, <laughs> my Jesus was in the dark. <laughs> my sarcastic line for this is, poor Jesus, born on the wrong side of the cross, didn't get to preach the gospel. Wow. And uh, (laughs) unfortunately, there's some truth in that. So it might Mm. be sarcastic, but Mm. it's because I'm telling you something I think is is pretty important here. So in the second edition of this, this Mm. is the first edition. In the second edition, which is a paperback, I added a chapter because I knew something, but I wasn't wasn't Mm. completely convinced, Mm. so I needed to do more work. Mm. And so I gave a lecture in uh, Canada, and at that lecture, I traced the history of gospel preaching. So, I spent an entire year reading evangelistic sermons. Wow, fascinating. You know, you're not going to find any yeah. until America and the Great Awakening. You know, well, uh. Jonathan Edwards, yeah. John mm-hmm. Wesley, George Whitefield, huh. uh, Finney, and D.L. Moody and Billy Sunday, and then to Billy Graham. Prior to that, people were catechized into the church, mm. they had national churches. Uh. So, they, were, they grew up in the gospel. So I, re- I studied the history of evangelistic preaching. And, huh. and Tim, I was amazed. Wow. Finney would preach sermons sometimes that had 37 points.
2: <laughs> wow.
1: I mean, there's no four pointers. <laughs> And I would and and of course, Jonathan so we' come a long way we've, we've we've reduced it. Jonathan Edwards is never going to preach a four sermon a four point sermon, mm-hmm. not like that, mm. and Whitfield, and so I started studying this, and I realized that what they preached for, mm. I think you could say, was regeneration and a total transformation of a person's life mm. as they surrender to God in Christ. Mm. So then I got into Moody, and Moody preached the same thing. Mm. Both Moody and Billy Sunday Mm. basically Mm. were almost social transformationists. Mm. They were trying to get, especially males, Mm. to get their life back together, quit Mm. drinking alcohol all the time, Mm. quit getting drunk, quit visiting women who you shouldn't be visiting, and give your life to God. And that will make America a better nation. So Mm. both Moody and and Sunday were very much a national message. Mm. Then hmm. I saw a hmm. huge difference hmm. with Billy Graham. Hmm. Hmm. and I love Billy Graham, hmm. but Billy Graham and Campus Crusade hmm. and Henrietta Mears, she gave away Billy Graham Crusade gave away six million copies of her book. Wow. And at the end huh. of that book, she has this outline of oh, those four amazing. spiritual laws. Fascinating. So I, huh. I spent a year uh, I huh. got a librarian, a professional librarian to what work the Bible's with me, all about, what the Bible's all about. Hmm. I got a, a librarian to work with me, and we got back to the original documents of Henrietta Mears. She did not have this. This oh, this, this four-point. She got it from Billy Graham and from yeah. Bill Bright. Bill Bright and <clears throat> Campus Crusade. Yeah, yeah. And that's where we got our four-point sermon. Prior to that, no one the, knew the that. the four spiritual laws. The four spiritual laws. Yeah, yeah. no one knew that gospel.
2: Until and is that is that like you're a sinner?
1: Yeah, God loves you. Uh, you're a sinner. Jesus died for you. Uh, accept him into your heart. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. four-point
0: evangelistic preach. sermon. It comes out mid 20th century. You're saying? Yeah, American. probably the 40s and 40s, 40s. and 50s. Okay, yeah. Early. That's
1: where it begins to to yeah. grow. Wow. And this, is, this was remarkable to yeah, me yeah. because if you talk, even mainliners think that's the gospel because sure. they've all heard it from Billy Graham. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And he's changed the lives of many, many people, mm-hmm. and I'm grateful for that. He's not saying something yeah. wrong, yeah. but the you well, You're, you're gospel, observing
0: how th- what the word gospel refers to yeah. in generations' minds has right. shifted. <clears throat> dramatically. Shifted over time. The
1: original gospel was to <clears throat> tell the story of Jesus— And Mm. if you listen to that story, the Spirit of God works and calls people to repentance Mm -hmm. and to Mm -hmm. baptism. Mm
2: -hmm. So what's your uh, one-liner for what is the gospel? (laughs) See, that's
1: the problem right There (laughs) (laughs) There is no one. The the one-liner is, Jesus is
2: Lord. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah,
0: King Jesus. Well, uh, this is, yeah, an observation you make is different, even in the New Testament, the different summaries Differ in details. They differ in detail. based on yeah. audience. But th- it's all about he, Jesus. But it's telling it, people correct. about Jesus. It's telling. That's and, right. And
1: Tim, that's you know, right. you've probably heard me say this. I taught seventeen years Jesus of Nazareth to college students. Huh. I saw hundreds, or at least a hundred, of college students give their life to Jesus. Huh. Because they love Jesus of the Gospels. Yes. And so our friend Dan Kimball writes a book. They love Jesus, but not the church. Mm -hmm. That is so true. Yeah. I found that with students all the time. They wanted to hear Mm. about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So tell them.
2: Yeah. So tell them. Tell 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 them them about Jesus. Books yet?
0: Well, there's this one and then another Kindle one. Okay. Two more. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. The next uh, book of yours I came across was I was assigned a number of sermons in a preaching series through 1 Corinthians. So then I'm just deep dive into Paul. That was a great season of learning for me. Uh, And it was around the same time period that you published A Fellowship of Difference. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, exploring in a practical, funny way, essentially Paul's vision of the beloved community of the unified body of Christ. So, that in terms of my years of reading Paul, my perception of Paul was like the heavy-duty theologian, <laughs> and and you know, uh, don't sleep around and be holy and love each other. That was my. Mm -hmm. you know, baseline perception. And over the years, it's become so clear to me how for Paul, the unity and commitment of love and mutual support of diverse communities wasn't just an add-on for Paul. It was central to the expression of the gospel in his mind and heart. And so that's what you're after in A Fellowship of Difference. Tell me more about this this book. I wrote
1: this book for my seminary students. I started writing this as soon as I hit Northern Seminary. Mm. I wanted... Mm to write a book on the Christian life mm. for my Paul class. Mm. So I started working on this. But so I loved it when you said it's his vision of the beloved community mm. because for me it was a vision of the Christian life, mm. which is a vision of church life. Mm-hmm. So the original mm. title was Life in a Salad Bowl.
0: Oh, right. That's your main metaphor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. And my and editor in the book.
1: hates salad. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, I can't work with this. Yeah, I yeah. said, oh, come on. It's uh, good. Time. It's clever. It's clever. So... I wanted to show how everything Paul teaches about the Christian life mm-hmm. is actually teaching how people are to live with one another. Mm-hmm. It's not about how you can relate to God personally Mm. all the time. Mm. It's not about, in that Mm. sense, of how you can go practice solitude. Mm. I I think Paul believed in all those things. Mm. His fundamental category that he operated with is, what kind of virtues do we need to have Mm. to be able to live together Mm. when we are as different as we are? Mm -hmm. So that's where Paul started. Mm. And then the private, the personal Mm. things come into play. Mm -hmm. So it's not an either or, but Mm -hmm. the starting point for Paul Mm. is how to get people who are different mm. ents yes, yes. living mm. together yes mm. and liking it yes that yeah. was the challenge yeah and this was i think a challenge mm. unlike anything mm. that we ever saw in the jewish world mm-hmm. and certainly that we saw in athens or rome because mm. mm-hmm. they did not mix like this
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you, you had <laughs> in the opening chapters i remember looking back through my notes you talk through i forget what what Scholar whose work you were quoting, you were profiling Peter Oakes,
1: probably Peter Oakes. Yeah,
0: and just you know, an average house church in Rome. Yes, who shows up? Yes, you got 15, 20 people. Yeah, who's sitting there? Yeah. And it was so imaginative in yes. terms of a slave, some Macedonians, mm. there's some Jews, there's some people, some like Greeks who had been going to synagogue, some Ho- homeless people, some homeless people, there's, workers
1: in the house. That's
0: right, mm. slaves.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a house church.
0: Yeah. And
1: he studied this by, he got access to a major villa in Pompeii. Mm. And he went through all the archaeological records of what was there, what Mm. they could find, even Mm. DNA stuff. Mm -hmm. And they came to the conclusion of who would have been involved in that. Then he knew it would be slightly bigger in Rome. Mm. So he expanded it to a few more people. Mm. But we Mm. have a totally sanitized view Mm -hmm. of what church is like. Mm. Because we come to church and we come supposedly mm. ready to worship and sing and listen. This is at someone's home. Mm-hmm. They are in an atrium. It's the only place probably mm. they could meet. And they could, if it wasn't a very sm- a large group, they could meet in a room. Mm. And in the atrium, that would have been open, ceiling, mm. water, mm. if it's raining, mm. coming down in a pool in the middle. Mm. And they're gathered around this pool in the middle. And they're talking. Mm. And someone's and it's it's people who live there and maybe some mm. some homeless people who are staying there or maybe some mm. converts who live in another house who could mm. get free for that time of worshiping together mm. it's mm. unlike anything i know i've been in one church like this
0: mm-hmm. mm.
1: In uh, Champaign yeah. Urbana, mm-hmm. Illinois, mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, mm. "This is a first-century church." Yeah. <laughs> the pastor didn't even have a membership. He said, "Anybody who puts their name in our address book is a part of our church." Huh. I said, "Jews and Christians? Oh yeah, Jews and Christians. Yeah. They come here; they're part of us." Yeah, yeah. And it was a total mm. free-for-all. Mm. Homeless people—they mm-hmm. fed 400 people a week. Mm. Mm. Those people came to church. Mm-hmm. It was. Mm-hmm. It was. Uh, yes. It, in yeah. some ways, I, it was scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because it, well, I thought, I don't know what's going to happen.
2: Yeah, yeah right. sure. You can't control well,
0: that. D- yeah, so, yeah, thank you. I mean, you uh, you were among a number of scholars that helped me begin to imagine that. And it is scary. It, it's I mean, it's it, it, yeah, like what? It's not safe. That's right. And to per, how Roman neighbors would perceive this? Like, I, you know, there's guilds for the yeah. blacksmiths to get together, yes. and people get together at the Zeus temple. Yeah, this is unlike anything yeah. that's appeared in my neighborhood. And so I'm maybe curious <laughs> if I'm a Roman onlooker, what I'm scandalized because slaves and upper class people are eating together. Eating together. It's a very Jews There's no—it no, doesn't fit on my map. No. Mm.
1: And think about this. <clears throat> Unless this is—I mean, almost any day of the week, anybody's villa, mm. if it's a normal home, mm. say in Pompeii or Rome, is also the business. Mm-hmm. So people would come in during business. This is why mm. Paul says in, to the Corinthians, huh. if someone comes in and you're speaking in tongues—
2: Mm. They're gonna think
1: you're nuts. Yeah. All right. Well, that's because visitors walked in uh-huh. because this is a business. Uh-huh. It's not just. A, it's not a church building. Uh-huh. It's a house.
0: Well, yeah. A house is a business. Yes. Yes. So your atrium is your storefront. It's your marketplace. That's interesting. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. That's fascinating. Hmm. Huh. We could talk at length about all of these things more. Mm. Just the last thing to name. I actually, I have a number of other books on Kindle. We could talk about the blue parakeet and. The other one about the phrase, the kingdom of God. Kingdom conspiracy. Kingdom conspiracy. However, what I'd like to talk about last, I'll let you pick. Kingdom conspiracy or your commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, which seemed like a culminating work of a lot of years of reflection on the Sermon on the Mount. You pick. Kingdom conspiracy mm-hmm. or uh, your King commentary on the conspiracy
1: is controversial. I, <laughs> I talked about it here one time. So I'll,
0: I'll, I'll do Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. And here's what I remember, because you have a, a blog that you've been very active on for many years. And you did a series many years ago, I think after I had just read one or two of your books, a long series of posts on the Sermon on the Mount. I actually printed them out to collect them because mm. you would do different. And then I, at the end, I was like, that's kind of like a small commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And it was very helpful for me over the years, and um, it was an active resource. And then when you published a commentary, I I realized, like, oh, this is... He just put together, like, a culminating work, at least a reflection on that passage. So tell me about the Sermon on the Mount in your life.
1: I grew up in a church that did not preach from the Gospels. Hmm. My pastor only preached from the Pauline letters. Mm -hmm. Except at Easter and Christmas, he'd bring in a Gospel passage. That sounds like my church tradition.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So... Uh, When I got to college, I was told by someone, I have no idea, I am eternally grateful for this, to read Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Hmm. As a college junior—
2: That's kind of a college— Mm-hmm. Author mm-hmm. to discover. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, I, I he I read it was de- decided, it's dense reading. Went, oh man, that was he blew me away. I, yeah, when I looked back at it later, I thought I have no idea what I understood when I read that. <laughs> <laughs> but just, it was I read yeah. I just drank and he had that long section yeah. on the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. So when I got to seminary and I started, uh, I didn't have classes in the <laughs> summer. One of the first summers I spent uh, doing nothing but working through the Greek text of the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. And studying, I really studied hard the meaning of makarios, blessed. Mm-hmm. Went through the whole Septuagint. Mm-hmm. Didn't know Hebrew, so I couldn't do Hebrew <laughs> at the time. I studied that, and I began uh, like a file of, of information in my head, and I loved the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. When I began to teach, I taught a course on Jesus and discipleship that had a big section on the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. And I taught a couple courses over the years on the Sermon on the Mount, so I was thrilled. Mm. When the Story of God Bible Commentary came out and they asked me which book of the New Testament that I wanted to write a commentary on, I said, The Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> and the editor at Zonderman says, That's not a book, Scott. That is a part of a book. I said, I'm an Anabaptist, and that's a book. <laughs> she said, Okay, you can do it. So they made it a supplemental volume. Uh, yes, actually. yeah. So yeah. I just couldn't wait to mm. to work through the whole thing and kind yeah. of put stuff together. Yeah. The only other experience about this is... Mm at some point when I was teaching in seminary Dallas Willard came out with a mm. divine conspiracy mm-hmm. and I began to read the book mm. and I had to put it down mm. because you know it was the book I wanted to write. Yeah, sure. And I couldn't read it. And I told Dallas Mm, this one day. He said, you're not the first person who told me this. (laughs) Interesting. But uh, later, when I did my Sermon on the Mount, of course, I read through it again. Yes, yes. And I resonate with a lot of Dallas. I differ with him on some things, on Mm -hmm. what kingdom means and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. I think he puts the religious theme of the... Kingdom of God together well. Yep. So it's sort of like uh, you're, you're exactly right. It's a culmination yeah. Yeah. of my years of teaching Jesus and the Gospels yeah. to, get to put it all together.
0: Yeah. As you mentioned that, I forget you've referenced Dallas Willard in multiple contexts. It may have been a blog or a book, but you, I learned about the Divine Conspiracy from a reference you made to him oh. somewhere. And I agree that exposition of the Sermon on the Mount is what keeps that book on my shelf. I yeah, keep going book. back to it and. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There you go. This was a unique privilege for me. Well, to thank see. you. I'm privileged. <laughs> You've written way more books than even the ones I've named. That's uh, Well, I've been but thank you for these. since 1988. Yeah, that's right. And it's, so, you start at seven every, every day. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you so much. I also um, wanted to mention Scott's yeah. podcast, which oh, I just yeah, discovered recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's recently. great. Yep. You've been doing it
2: for years. Kingdom Roots. 123 episodes. I do? Podcast. That's yeah. what it says here. Yeah. Which one should should I listen to if I could just listen to one episode?
1: Oh, I don't know.
2: You've got one. Everything you need to know about the new perspective in thirty minutes. Really, everything I need to know about the new perspective. I on was Paul.
1: there when it happened. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I mean, you, the new you were. perspective. I That's was right. studying with Jimmy Dunn yeah. when he gave that lecture. Mm. Yeah, famous lecture. Yeah, the new perspective on Paul. Mm. Mm. And E.P. Sanders came and lectured to our Ph.D. seminar.
0: Mm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So.
0: Unique time and place to be yeah. for Bible nerds. You go
1: to the ones that have the most page views. <laughs> the ones
2: that have the most views. Well, let's see. If we go back, let's see. Atonement questions, <laughs> part yeah. one and two, have a, mm. are pretty popular. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, the one at the bottom is. big.
2: Yeah, your first one. What is the kingdom? Yeah, mm-hmm. was 2016. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out. I'm excited to listen to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, this unique. Privileged to thank you. get to talk with somebody yeah, for who by. has influenced me so much. You've had a big influence on the Bible Project through these works over the years. Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Thank and you. I
1: love the Bible Project. Hmm. I think it's awesome what you're doing.
0: Yeah. So. Thank you.
1: And I feel comfortable here. The whole time we're looking out a window and there's a little snow. Coming. It's
2: snowing. I know. Is this it's, real snow? Is for it for midwestern, it's not, sticking, it's not no. sticking. Do you
1: need a shovel? No. You, it's not real till you need a snowblower. That's
2: <laughs> 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 All right. Yeah, the fake right. snow is coming down. Yeah. Yes. Well, thanks. Cool. Yeah, Jim thank and you, John. Scott. Very yeah, good. Thank, yeah you.
0: thank you for taking the time.